elitism. You are literally told from day one that you are better than civilians and you are better than any other armed forces. And in eight months of being told that every day, you truly believe it. So from that moment onwards... Welcome to an episode of Find Your Voice, a movement led by yours truly, Aaron Dew, a guy who has overcome crippling anxiety, adversity, and difficulty like so many of you in life, whose main goal now is to help you combat your excuses, take control of your life, write your own story, and most importantly, find your voice. So now, without further ado, I welcome the host of the show himself, Mr. Aaron Dew. I am delighted to welcome Howard Green on today's episode of Find Your Voice. Howard, how are you doing today, my friend? Yeah, very good, thank you. Good stuff, glad to hear it. So I'm excited for this one because Joshua, if you remember from episode four, had an incredible story and maybe one that's actually been forgotten. So I'm actually looking to bring him on, but he put me in touch with Howard and he kind of advocated a lot for you, Howard. So no pressure for your story today because he said you're going to be absolutely fantastic and you're going to blow the listeners away. And I'm sure you will do, mate, because just having a very brief conversation with yourself and knowing what you've got in your CV, it's it's exciting and it's it's a lot. There is a lot of stuff there and there's definitely stories to be told there and I always say everyone has a story but it seems that you have almost books of chapters which I'm really interested in jumping into so what I always do at this point is try and understand why people do what they do so if you could maybe tell us what you do but then a little bit about yourself and what kind of brings you to where you are today please. Okay so current role is head of um, sports science at a youth tennis academy Uh, we're a big part of the national framework Um, I also have like a business we're working with younger athletes and give a platform for that in terms of online training. Um, it's quite varied. Um, my main role is as there is a strength and conditioning coach, um, but in terms of additional roles, I've got leadership in terms of the team that I work with. Uh, we do work to do with parents' education, coaches' education, player education, away from just making them fit fast and strong. So it's, it's quite a big role. And I've been in that role for the past 10 years. Prior to that, um, short break and spent some time in Spain. Um, just working um, prior to that I was in the Royal Marines. So kind of my, my journey into high performance basically started probably when I, when I joined the Marines back in 2001. Um, and as well as the work with the youth athlete, I've been lucky enough to work on the professional level level as well. And I think you're a Man United sport, aren't you? I am, yeah. I trained Basti's wife, so wow. got to go to Basti's wedding. So the uh, German Beckham, I was there, so it's good, yeah. Uh, lucky man, lucky man. I'm, I'm envious of you already, mate. So I just want to touch on one thing, and this is just for a, a personal thing, and obviously to educate people listening. You were in the Royal Marines and you were a commando, I believe. Could you just elaborate ever so slightly on that? Yeah, so, okay, I'll take it back. Like, so at school, um, I think I probably, if there was a terminology, it'd be like underachiever to overachiever. Uh, school, bit of an underachiever, very much a late maturer. So hit puberty very, very late. Um did a year away in Australia and New Zealand, visiting family when I was 16, came back. I've always been somebody who's worked really hard. Um, I like to have money, I like to spend the money. Um, I had a day off work to get my GCSE results, but kind of came back, went into construction. I uh, was going to follow that path. And then friends of mine, one had just been in recruit training and come out for, a, for his girlfriend and a couple of mates were going in. So it was kind of a bit of a chat. I'd enrolled on a college course to do with computers, which I don't know why I hated it. <laughs> And just basically started to think about this potentially joining the forces. Um, I said to those guys, okay, I'll join the Marines and then maybe do my commando course a bit later. Uh, there's a massive bravado in the Marines and the Paris and it was very much like, well, if you join them, we'll not speak to you. So I kind of just went with the flow. It's never been a desire. 
uh, at any point in my life to a join the Marines or uh, the forces or the Marines. They're kind of seen as between them and the paras, the top two before special forces. Um, and that's when a lot of people were saying, well, why, why are you going in the Marines? They're always first in. And I was at the time, look, there's not much happening. It's just Northern Ireland. Um, and whilst I was in training, back end of training, 9-11 happened. So yeah, things ramped up quite quickly. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of thrown in at the deep end. Um, I, I w was involved with the invasion of Iraq. I went back to Iraq year after, and then also did a six month tour in Afghan in Helmand province. So quite, quite a heavy six years. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely baptism by fire there, especially that you were just kind of going along with the flow. And then all of a sudden you're like, right, okay, I, I'm now kind of being deployed out there. And I just want to ask in that moment, then when you're, when you're being asked to go out there and, you know, you're going into effectively war, how was you feeling? How was you, how was your mindset there? Was you, was you afraid? Uh, the, the, yeah, there's going to be elements of it. It'd be ridiculous to say not. Um, yeah, it was just a strange one. It was a situation like when I joined recruit training, you know, I very much had a mindset of I'm a rubber duck. You won't break me. I just, it was more probably an ego thing. I didn't feel, I never wanted to come back being known as a failure. Um, cause everybody knows you've gone, you know, from your local town and all your friends, they know you've gone to do this. Uh, and you pop up every now and then when you're on leave, but you know, it's always about how you're getting on. So I, it was never, I wouldn't say it's never a doubt in my mind that I wouldn't complete it, but I would, it would have to be kind of forced upon me as in injury or whatever, but I wasn't going to quit. Um, so you've got to have that mindset of, well, I've put myself in this position. This is what I signed up for. Um, and, and yeah, and, and, and definitely I'll be really honest about Afghan because I knew how rough that was going to be. I didn't want to go. I did not want to go. But the thought of somebody going in my place and getting hurt or worse, again, I'm not going to let that happen. So yeah, you're definitely fearful because um, you know, you know, potentially what's going to happen when you're there. I appreciate your honesty there. And especially given that you, you said yourself, it's a very bravado type thing to say I'm a part of there's a lot of ego there's a lot of testosterone being flown around especially in the, in the male sector of it so just to acknowledge that you still have the same emotions because marines and special forces and stuff for myself personally have become more famous when we see the David Goggins of the world who's now become a bit of an influencer and we look at this guy he's almost sadistic in some of the stuff that he does but we don't recognize that underneath all of that training and those years of enduring pain and going through the process He's still a human being who still has the same emotions and the same feelings, although he may be able to manage them better. So just hearing that from yourself, it's very easy for somebody listening to maybe say, well, it's all right for him. You know, he was in the Marines, but that's why I wanted to kind of just bring that out and just say, look, he still has the same fears. And then it's about, can we train ourselves, whether it's through our daily habits, whether it's through our mindset in terms of overcoming our fears, because what you did there, mate, you know, hats off to you. That's something that even thinking about it frightens me half to death. But sometimes for people listening, and I'm just saying for, for the listener's perspective, sometimes just getting out of bed and going out into a network meeting when there's 10, 15 people could be just as frightening, although on different levels of the spectrum, if that makes any sense. No, 100%. You know, I know you mentioned about struggles with anxiety, ultimately depression, you're worrying about something that has happened and anxiety is something that, you're kind of worried it is going to happen and it's not happened and it may not happen. So it's kind of definitely, definitely something you've got to think about and not catastrophize. Um, that's a big one really. But yeah, I mean, I guess the, the, the additional fear of the Afghan role was also that I was going to be in a little bit more of a leadership role as well. So it wasn't just 
my arse on the line, I was going to have you know, lads alongside me, under me. So that was like an added pressure, which you might relate to, you know, any workplace that, you know, if you're just, if you're part of the team, it's a totally different stressor than if you're leading the team. Um, and then that's some of the discussions we've had recently um, in the tennis world with the national governing body about, you know, how have the current leaders done in this situation in terms of the different politicians and what sort of leader would we like to be, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of like, you know, you want to lead from the front. Um, so, yeah, But also I think it's kind of beliefs and values of the and culture of what you're involved in. So like in the Marines, there's, there's, there's core values and core beliefs that we have. And one of those is cheerfulness in the face of adversity. So we're going to see pretty adverse. We're going to be in adverse situations and, and really kind of, brutal and horrific things seen but the way you get over that is through black humor or whatever it might be you know or dark humor is that that's the way you can get through it it's the only way you can get through it you've got to kind of you can't let it overwhelm you especially if you're, going to, if you're having to continue to operate you know what's happened that afternoon you've still got to crack on and do your patrol that night or the next day so it's kind of but it's having the time to talk about it as well and that's usually kind of fueled by a few drinks but you know it it it, it need does need to be talked about definitely yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned leadership there quite a bit. And one of the things that you said, which was quite interesting in the, when I asked you the first question was the fact that you didn't want to go at one stage, but the fear of somebody else coming in your space and then potentially getting hurt. I just want to acknowledge you for that because I think that is a nice, and it's a different type of mindset where you have empathy for somebody else and you're instantly thinking of someone, which then kind of brings me back to why you do what you do. And you're now in a leadership role. And we've mentioned the word leadership a lot now. And you almost seem to be somebody who's leading from the front, but with example and with values and stuff. So in your particular work now, how do you see yourself as a leader and what kind of things would you, would you encourage somebody maybe who wants to step into the leadership space? Because I believe at some stage, whether you're a parent or whether you're, you're a boss and whether you've got laws of employees, we're all leading something. We are effectively being looked at by somebody else. hundred um, percent. As you say, that kind of, leading from the front for me is quite important. Um, if you're going to have expecting high standards of others, you've got to, you've got to live and breathe that be it like being on time, being prepared, being organized. We did like, um, trying to think what it was. It's, it's, it's like a, in the group, we'd have a number of cards and there'd be descriptions of the type of people. And you would assign this card to the next person, a bit of profiling, like psychological profiling. So most of mine were like discipline, organized, all this sort of stuff. And I, that, you know, prepare to fail, prepare, uh, prepare to kind of plan, prepare to fail. Like, you know, that kind of element of being prepared as best as possible, but understanding that no plan survives first contact is, is a military saying like you can be planned to the max and then within 10 minutes it, it's gone. So you've then got to be, have that element of being able to improvise, adapt and overcome. And this obviously situation has been really big for that. Um, I feel like in terms of the 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 one to one players that I work with, that's been was my biggest fear. Really, was not about them becoming unfit or weak. Was more the mental aspect. Um, so you know, my major major task and 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 goal was to keep them as active mentally as possible via. Okay, these are the programs that I want you to set. But here's an exercise that if you film and put it on Insta, you get an extra bonus point. Okay, we're gonna have a leaderboard. Every time you make your bed, you put your washing in the basket and you put your pots away and do one more thing for your parents, you get another bonus point. Uh, I need you to fill in this data so you get a bonus point. So then it's about kind of establishing positive habits, which is 
is a real big one. And the book um, Atomic Habits by James Clear has been a real big impact on me on that one. Um, so yeah, for the first month, they all got a bonus point for these little things like helping around the house, doing what I want them to do. And then I took that point away because we've done that long enough now. You should have that intrinsic motivation to continue to do that under your own steam. So I think as a leader, it's probably the way I would go about it is look, look, this is the standards. Look, I live it and breathe it. I'll help you along the way, but we'll get to a point then where you must take this stuff on, on board and, and make it part of your everyday life. I love that. I love that. And as you were saying that, so I'm always fascinated by an athlete more so for their mental aspect rather than the physical. And as you were saying that, I was thinking of the MJ documentary that I was seeing, uh, Michael Jordan. Absolutely love that. And I don't want to give any spoilers away, but there's a point where he's almost perceived from the outside and even with his teammates at one point that he's not a nice character. But when they turned it back on him and he said he said something and it reminded me of what you were just explaining there is he would never make somebody do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. And I absolutely love that. And that's kind of your philosophy in terms of you will lead from the front and you will set and reinforce these positive habits in demonstrating that, look, what I'm making you do, I also do myself. And I think that is a fantastic leadership trait that anyone can do. So using that as as a segue for my next question, I want to look at your habits as a high performer, not just from your background in, in the military, but also for now working with people. So you've not only got to inspire and lift other people by lifting them and probably changing your habits as well, but what about yourself as a person as well? What kind of things are non-negotiables in your day? Okay, so first thing would be to like be kind to yourself that you're not going to, no, nobody's perfect. Um, I'm going to say things that you should do but do I do every day a bit like Dean said? No. Uh, do I strive to do these things? Yes. Um, but in terms of like the strict, strict routines, it's up. I do the opposite to what everybody says and I go straight on my phone. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I've got better over time on the dopamine hit and it's just a matter of like, well, how's that, that post performed? Um, I'm doing a lot more now in terms of uh, part of the, my new business is about serving tennis coaches and providing coaching education for them. So I'll have posed some questions in different Facebook groups. So that'll kind of start my day off. And then I've got a young daughter, she's nearly two. So then we go downstairs, it's breakfast time. And so it's been very kind of, I've had to give over and I thought I'd have this, all this time to create unbelievable habits for myself. But, you know, it's, it's more centered around my daughter. So it, you know, it, it, it's, I do use like the habit tracker to try and keep me on track in terms of what I need to achieve. Um, do I do it all the time? No, I don't. But if you write down every day, three, three things, minimum five things, maximum that you're going to do, you're much more likely to achieve those. Um, being much more consistent now with my, uh, my own fitness. Um, there's been days and weeks in this situation. that's not been great. Um, but what's happening is anytime I have free time, I'm working. I mean, I'm on full-time full, full daddy daycare. Um, so yeah, exercise, for, especially for, for your mental health is massive, massive. And in this current situation, if you're fitter and healthier, you, you might not get this disease as worse as possible. So it's going to come round again. So why not, why not prepare yourself? So yeah, I think it's, 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 I, was, I think it's James clear again, it's that consistency over intensity. Just try and tick off one or two things, but try and do them all the time um, rather than what you normally do is sit down and you go, right, I'm going to do some form of physical training six days a week. And then you end up doing one because you've been over face for it. And it's something I've always done. as a, Even when I was a kid, I'd tidy out my cupboard and I'd get everything out in one go. And then I'd just get over faced by it, walk away, 
leave it, come back in the night, look at it and just get in bed and ignore it. So it's kind of myself, my biggest thing is, is, is trying to maintain consistency or a, couple, a few things versus a lot of things. I think that's really, really important. And you remind me of myself there. So anxiety is something that I didn't know what it was. And I've experienced it for about 20, 30 years of my life. And it was only when I was labeling it, I was able to kind of dive into understanding it. Now, one of the things that worked for me really well is having a structure. So that structure is in the morning, a glass of water. I think of three things that I'm grateful for and I go on a run or I, or I exercise. And then what I did is as I'm on my personal development journey is I'm like, I like that habit or I hear your habit. And then I hear somebody else, and I started to cluster my day with just consistently like loads of different routines and habits. And then what happens is there's a fine line between a structured day and overwhelm where you just literally overwhelm yourself because come the end of that day or the second day, you haven't ticked everything off. And then as an anxious person, I'm kicking myself because I haven't done what I said to myself I was going to do. And one of the one of the things I hold myself as a value is being a man of his word. And that includes to myself as well. So I think what you said there is really important that sometimes it's good just to have two or three things. And I, th I think you've chose the most important things, being kind to yourself and then your daughter. It's being flexible as well. Yeah. Like that, that daily routine might look very different on a Monday than it does to a Tuesday, to a Wednesday, to a Friday. So, you know, yesterday, I basically made Tuesday now daddy and day, daughter day. So we got up and we drove out to Southport and, you know, no work is on my mind whatsoever. So to yesterday, I did a bit of writing in the afternoon. But other than that, I had nothing booked in. I had not one call nothing and it was such a good feeling to give her that attention because on some of the other days okay i've actually got stuff to do that lead can lead to frustration in that she's getting angry that i'm not giving her the attention she wants she's trying to go upstairs and going to disrupt my wife when she, she's working so i think yeah it, it's having that flexibility within the week and week to week um that keeps you on track so not every day might look the same, but when I roll, it rolls around to Sunday and I reflect on the week, okay, yeah, it's, it's been consistent enough. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great advice as well because the key to this, in my opinion, and this is what I used to teach as a personal trainer, was sustainability. I think sustainability is so overlooked and people are always trying to find quick fixes and stuff. And I'm thinking that's not going to keep you going. Like I'd rather you just implement one habit and that is just being kind to yourself for the rest of your life mm. and you'll probably have much better results. So absolutely love that. So... We're going a little bit backwards now and I want to go more into your life in terms of adversity. So when we spoke prior to coming onto this show that I want people to hear your story and somewhere in your story see an element of hope or something that they could maybe draw upon and think, I'm going through some shit right now, but if I can just take that lesson or that nugget of wisdom and use it in my own life, maybe I could come out of this or at least know that there is a way out and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So yeah. if you have a story that maybe you can think of, where you've been through adversity, but then you come out the other side. If you wouldn't mind sharing that with us, please, mate. There's three areas really in terms of what could relate to this this topic. So I've been diagnosed PTSD, I've been diagnosed bipolar, and I've definitely had kind of professional burnout. I guess like they're all intertwined in terms of what leads to it. So in terms of what the, what the positives and negatives that came out of the Marines in terms of elitism, you are literally told from day one that you are better than civilians and you are better than any other armed forces. And in eight months of being told that every day, you truly believe it. So from that moment onwards, anything I've ever done after that, unless I came top, and not just top by a bit, like I have to smash it. I need to like hit as hard as possible and beat everybody. Like I was never happy, never happy. And one of my mentors would always say, look, I love the fact that you've 
your thirst for knowledge and your desire to improve, but you're not present. You're always looking to the horizon for the next thing, for the next thing, for the next thing. So I joined, you know, when I went into this profession, um, I went back to uh, university at 26. So I've been out of school in 10 years, done my time in the forces. So that was taken into consideration, did a degree in sports coaching, was going to go into rugby league, ended up going into tennis, hit tennis. And, and it's always been the same. So like when I was in the Marines, you had to opt in to be considered for promotion. So you had to put your hand up and go, look, I want to be seen as somebody who wants to be promoted. Um, so I did that pretty much in the first week that ruffled a few, few feathers in terms of there's always this kind of bit of an old sweat routine. You, you've got to do a few years first and then you look for promotion. I was like, no, I'm here. I'm here to go far. Um, so yeah, like back into education, ended up going into tennis. And then once I was in, I was like, well, how far can I go in this job? I was like, oh, the highest would be to be working with a player, be at a Grand Slam conference, and the camera goes to the box and you're sat in it. So that was it then. It was be in the box. That is what I wanted to do. And that's what drove me spending near of all my money on education, uh, extra courses. So I did my degree, then I did my personal training course, and I became an accredited strength conditioning coach. And again, I'm quite big on labels. So I, you know, I wouldn't call myself a strength and conditioning coach until I got that accreditation, but it's always like next course, next course, next course, next course, next book next conference, next workshop. Um, and I think, like, obviously, there's the book, The Secret. Um, I don't believe if you sit at home in your chair and keep saying that you're going to drive a Porsche, you're going to drive a Porsche. But if you say out loud to other people what your big goal is, there's more chance of it happening. So when Basti came to United, his agent asked at United, have we got a trainer? Okay, there's a guy from Bath that's just been in and presented. Let's ring him, ring him, or I'll have to ask Rob, who's the new coach who used to work in Bolton. I'll ask him, who should you recommend? Howard. Okay, Howard then is in the mix. He goes in, there's three or four people who will get a sit-down interview. The head coach, uh, his son's just about to join Sandhurst, so my military connection got me in there. Um, and then in, uh, we did a practical interview, two or three of us, and I got the gig. And it was with Basti's wife, who was former Grand Slam winner and world number one. And I've got like a notebook somewhere and it says, it says B-I-T-B, be in the box. And I've just done a brainstorm of all these ways I might, might build up the chance to get there in the future. And I probably hit this in the first, probably, what would it be? Six years? Within six years, I'd, I'd like almost supposedly hit the pinnacle of my job, working with a top 10 player, et cetera, et cetera. And then it hits, you get out there, you're in the warm-up room, you've got Rafa, you've got Andy, you've got all these guys, and you, now you've got imposter syndrome. You've wished this upon yourself, and now you don't know what you're doing. Everybody's watching your every move. You know, every warm-up you do, some, like, could be 100 odd people watching you do it. So then, massive self-doubt, massive self-doubt. But also now you're working at a level where everything matters and, and results do matter. If you're working with a junior, it's a process and it's a development but at this end, okay, very, very, very stressful. A lot of, lot of kind of demand on you as a person. Um, very, a lot of demand and uncertainty around your schedule. So my wife would ask, okay, in six months' time, we've got this wedding. Can we go? Don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Can you not ask? And I go, it doesn't really work like that. I'm pretty much at her beck and call. So my head, head coach at the time basically said, whatever Anna offers you, as long as your wife okay is it, you can do it. So I did like a 10-day 10, 10 off-season before Christmas. 
And then she went, right, do you want to come to Australia? Okay, I'll come to Australia. Then it was like, do you want to come to Cal- uh, California? Yeah, I'll come to California. And then spent the entire summer pretty much training in Mallorca. So I didn't see my wife pretty much for six, seven months, hardly. Um, and then it got to the stage really where I, well, I didn't really enjoy it, but I knew these guys were getting married. So I'm thinking, if I stay in this, I might get invited to the wedding and I might be get to seem to be in this position and I might get some free Adidas gear. So I've got night with like a London Adidas gear. You know, you go, you go to the big tournaments, you get a big bag of stuff. And it became more ego, not like, you know, how well is she moving? Are we making improvements in the gym? Are we making improvements on the core that I've got objective ways that I could be measuring? No, it's more about this almost thinking you're famous, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, it got worse and worse. And I should have walked away from the job. Um, but ego kept me there. Like, again, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. But the right decision would have been to quit at that point. It would have for my own mental well-being. Um, the thing was, she wasn't in a great place in terms of her mental health. And I felt like I, I would, would be able to help her out. And that's kind of part of the reason I stayed around. But the other one, probably the main one was, was, um, was the fame and the ego. But the problem is when I get stressed, I usually drink. And it's not like, oh, I get on it every day. I need to drink. But when you're on the road and you're in a hotel and we were stopping in five-star hotels, then you probably have an A drink every day. And then the stress kicks in and then, okay, start to drink a bit more, sleep a bit less. Okay, now we're dipping into bad, bad area for bipolar, which is you know losing your sleep. And it just built and built and built and built. And then I was home for a few days and got word a friend of mine had killed himself. Um, somebody who'd struggled in the past, you know, I'd, we, we talked, tried to help, but for whatever reason, I took it on my shoulders. That was my fault. And it wasn't probably, it wasn't the thing. It was the, the thing, the straw that brought the camel's back and everything just collapsed and my head just, that was it. It fully, fully, fully came off. I was in a really bad way. Um, at that point, I, I, I knew I'd suffered with PTSD, but it never been written. Um, and, and it was in this, the fallout of this that I got diagnosed bipolar as well. So it all kind of mashed into one where ego drill, drove, drove, drove to the point where I just absolutely collapsed and couldn't contain it anymore because just got jet lag all the time. You're not, you're not training as well as you should. All these things that we talk about self-care weren't happening. Um, and, and yeah, it just kind of, it, it was tough. It was tough and, you know, very tough time in my life to kind of deal with this. I'd like, I, I'm not, when I'm with my bipolar, I don't go low. I only go pretty much go high and then be a, be a bit of a rat, really ratty, aggressive, horrible guy to be around. That's my dip. And it's cause I'm fatigued. And even, even in the past couple of weeks, I've had to make a couple of calls. Well, look, I just need to take a step back from this. I can feel myself burning out and it's back to that consistency over intensity. I become so intense that, I end up being, having to have a bit of a lull where I have like a week off or two weeks off where I just can't cope or I can't do anything um, to the level I would like. So I, I know all the things that I should do and over time I'm becoming much more insightful. Um, I've learned a lot. Like the people around me now have learned the red flags. Uh, when I ring certain people, if I say certain things, it's, it's a bit of a red flag. I'm hopefully getting a bit better of that myself in terms of, oh, this isn't good. I need to make a call, call that off. And that probably a top tip would be, and I don't know where I got this from, but if like, 
if you say no to something, you say no to that one thing. If you say yes to something, you say no to a lot of things. So when you commit to that one thing, whatever it might be, you're, you're committed. You're committed in the leading, the action, and the after it. So, you know, when these things come around, either being offered, you've got to kind of ask, well, where does that fit in? If it's on a Tuesday morning, I'm supposed to have that on door day, right, it doesn't fit. Can we do it another day? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But my problem is when I'm on a bit of a high, I go looking for these things. I start creating projects and ideas. So it's kind of, it's just, it's just understanding kind of your own red flags and your own kind of, like I've not had a coffee before this, even though I'm talking pretty quick. Like I, I thought I'm not going to have a coffee close to it because I'll, I'll, I'll just be rambling. I love that. There is so many things. I was taking notes, as you probably noticed throughout that. So I'm going to just segue backwards. The first few things I think is really, really important. And this is obviously in whatever field you're in, which is tell everyone what you do. So going off the secret, if you tell yourself you're going to drive a Porsche, for example, is a lot different to telling the world. But obviously with that, you need to put the action in, which from everything you've done and demonstrated, that action isn't a problem really for yourself. For anything, it's more trying to get the consistency over intensity, like you mentioned. Another great thing with telling everyone what you do, and I say this in the property field, which is what I operate in as well, is it opens your network up to letting them know what you are after as well. So opportunities will come by similar to yourself. And then obviously accountability, it will make you accountable. And the last thing you want to do is tell people you're about to do something and then not do it. Because I don't know if you're anything like me and you're definitely a high, high performer is that's probably one of the worst things that you'd have to sit with with yourself. But going through your journey, then you touched on some things that I think are really, really important topics. And maybe I'll to do this in a podcast later on, which is ego, which I think every single one of us has an ego at some stage. But recognizing that and for you to acknowledge that now, I think I think that's incredible because as men and as people, we, we want to believe we don't have ego. But you rightfully recognize there there was a part of your life. If you just had toned that ego down and recognize it wasn't serving you, you would have been in such a better place. And then imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is something I'm going through right this second. And I always try and be transparent to all my listeners where I'm in the property field and I started with like a small house and then I started with a slightly bigger house. And we're just signing off now on something that's, we're talking millions. And it's not just me, myself. There's there's a few partners involved and it's building 15 units off the ground. And there is a part of me now thinking, really like, and yet this was on my vision board 12, 24 months ago. And this is where I've always wanted to be. And now I've got that opportunity. I'm so afraid of messing it up or what if I don't fit in or what if I don't bring enough value to the deal. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that because that's also something that many of us will experience at some point. Any tips on that? I guess if you're going to say these big things, you've got to, you've got to be ready. Back it up. You've got to be ready. Yeah, you've got to be ready to back it up. If, you, if, you, if you're striving for these high things and the call comes, if you're not ready, um, there's potential to damage your reputation maybe. But at the same time, like as with the human body, unless we stress it, like genuinely push it a little bit and make it uncomfortable, it'll never get better. So, you know, it, it, it swings and roundabouts. If you're going to try and become a high performer, you've got to be ready for this stuff. But you've got to, you know, when I said to you about kind of, you know, what could I bring to the call in terms of actionable points or tips? It's like, what, what transferable skills are there? And like, in terms of like personal training or strength and conditioning, when preparing an athlete, we talk about periodization and we touched on it earlier about having, maybe having flexibility in your week, days that are harder and some that are easier and giving yourself a rest. You know, we would talk about the first stage of preparation is general preparation. And this is going to be relative, this can be pretty high volume, but low intensity. 
So you might have a day in the week where you do all your admin. You tee up the week by doing all these tasks that then we move into specific preparation. Okay, the intensity goes a little bit higher, volume drops off. Before we go into pre-competition, so we're leading up to a big tournament, okay, we ramp up the intensity massively now. But the volume's low. So you're not going to, you know, these people who talk about the grind and these people that sleep for three and four hours, I can't do that. Yeah, I, have to I, sleep nine, I have to sleep nine hours. If I don't sleep nine hours, then I'm good to nobody within two or three weeks. So what's the point anyway? So you put the intensity up, but you mainly work hard a couple of days a week at that level. And then if you're going into like a big, big gig, like what you're coming into, you need to taper. So as you, you've got to do all the hard work that as it starts to lead in, you start to back off and all the work you've put in previous, you can see it's all going to be there in front of you. You can see you've, you've planned, you've put it into practice. You've done the small house, the medium size, the big house. You've done your generally specific and your pre-com. You're now ready for the big deal. So as long as you go into it calm and not stressed out your head, and then when it's done, have a nice little transition. You know, don't go straight into the next one. I'm going to have a few weeks off. I might even go on a nice holiday. I might go traveling for a month. But you've got to enjoy the successes of the week, of the term. You know, and that could be done over a short period of time. Like talk about agile periodization, where you would, okay, I'm going to plan out the next three to four weeks, roughly. I'll plan out the next week in detail, and I'll review it. On Sunday, am I going to change anything in the next three weeks? No. You might get three weeks in and go, do you know what? We need to change that fourth week. And that's why I don't like Gantt charts. You know, like Gantt charts, <laughs> yeah. you're something that's happening in six months' time. Similar to people putting out 10-year goals. Like, that, that's ridiculous. Like, what can you achieve in the next year? And move from there, maybe two years at the max. And it's, it's just that fluidity and flexibility around volume and intensity within the week and from week to week. It's like, if we do it to the athlete's body, we need to do that to our minds as well. Very powerful. You've literally stopped my imposter syndrome right there as you were saying that because it made a lot of sense and it's something that the the wife has echoed to me as well. She said, well, actually, for the same amount of work that I'm doing now, I'm getting higher rewards. Whereas back in the day, mate, I was working six to nine to 12 months to get that same reward. But what she's explained is it's a process. And it, again, it's like even in the gym, for example, there's, there's certain things that used to take me ages, but now you can do it in almost half the time with the same intensity. So I think the way you articulated that was definitely better than my rambling. And just finally as well, before we jump into the fun part of the show, there was a thing that you mentioned at the end, which I think is so important. And I want to reiterate it again, which is when you say no to something, you say no to one thing. And as an anxious person, saying no to somebody when they asked me for something was the hardest thing in the world. And two weeks ago, I made a decision. I was going to say no three times because I'm like yourself. I want to take on opportunities. I want to keep myself busy 24 seven. But then what happens is I consume myself and I get low and overwhelm really starts to play its toll on me so i said no three times and i remember when i said no i was looking at the messages to see what their response was in terms of have i upset them and i got no sort of animosity or nothing back and i was like why was i worried about that yet it freed up my whole diary to then focus on myself and spend time with the wife and three weeks on now two two or three weeks on now i'm in such a better place that now i'll only say yes if it fits my agenda and segueing off that then, we're going to go into the fun part of the show. So you can't prepare for this bit, but you probably heard it previously. And this is a whole array of random questions for 60 to 90 seconds. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Become a dad. No, I'll take that back. Okay. I, I, it's clearly going over the top in Afghan, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's clearly attacking a building in Afghan or clearing a tunnel in Afghan. Yeah, clearly. Singing or dancing? Dancing. Books or movies? Movies. The number one thing you look for in a person? Actually, let's reframe that. The number one thing you look for in a tennis prospect. 
yeah, you see it in their eyes. You see the X Factor. You see it. I saw Nick Carrios when he was young and he wow. had it. That must have been amazing. Your proudest achievement? Dad. Your favourite motivational speaker? He's a bit of an old dude, but John C. Maxwell's good. If you could sit with one person for an hour today, dead or alive, who would it be? Never met him, my granddad. Love that. Who's your favourite tennis player now? Oh, it's got to be Rafa. Just his, his work ethic is unbelievable. Your favourite tennis player past? I guess a bit of aggression. The number one thing that annoys you? Yeah, winging it. Like oh, No, I wing it all the time. <laughs> that makes me angry. Yeah, that annoys you, yeah. Like lack of preparedness. So he talked about Goggins before. All his adversity, if he just had better admin and got a better bike, better <laughs> shoes, he wouldn't have to go through all those dark better. Yeah, been, better yeah. admin. <laughs> I love that. Your worst fear as a child? I'm just so not my. I'm just so not my child self now. Like it's there's just so much different. Where your worst fear now then? Not even coming close to what I want to achieve. And finally, would you rather know how you would die or when you would die? Oof, me. I'm not bothered. I've been. I've been close. I've been close enough to it there. Yeah, I've had, yeah, very close. So it is what it is. It'll happen and I'd rather not stress about it. Thank you. That is the end of the fun part. So we're literally heading towards the end of the show now, mate. And the next question is about reflection. So you've done a lot, you've been through a lot and we've only managed to just scratch the surface in terms of some of your story. But what I want to know is if you could maybe go back to that younger self that you just mentioned that isn't quite the person that you are now today and you could whisper something in his ears knowing everything that you know now what would you say you don't, you don't need anything to validate you i don't need to be working with a professional athlete to know that i'm an okay coach i don't need that to make sure that i'm making a difference you know we've said i've just sent kids away to america that i work with for like between seven and nine years i've had a bigger impact on their life than a year on the road with novak Djokovic. so you know helping others will give a lot more satisfaction than trying to be better than others absolutely i think that's such a great lesson in terms of what you said they're just helping people and wherever you can really and not worrying so much about the external validation that is so key especially for mental health as well recognizing yourself i always say finding your voice is your voice it's not about what howard's doing if you think what howard's doing is fantastic but there's still going to be a part of you that may want to do it ever so slightly different so recognize yourself become self-aware enough that you can pull out traits where you've got ego or you've got imposter syndrome and then learn learn from people like yourself because I think you've got some great fascinating ways of thinking it's a lot more structured than me just thinking talking and then trying to figure it out as I'm going along so oh man so thank you it takes that. so much time it takes <laughs> yeah. so long to get to this point like I mean a friend of ours a friend of mine he's a physio we literally meet once a week every week initially it was to get me ready for a race um and now it's still in there and we go down, we might talk about business, we might talk about an athlete, we might talk about work, or we might just vent. But having that in the diary just to speak every week, that is so important to be able to, you know, talking therapy, ultimately, like I've had all sorts of therapy, all sorts. I've been in the Priory, I've been, I've done all sorts. I take, I do take medication for bipolar. I'm not one of these people that I, I need it if I don't, if I forget to have it at eight o'clock tonight and I go to bed I'll get to like I normally drop fall asleep before half nine I get to ten I've not I've forgotten to have my meds so I need them just to shut like shut me down so and I've had I'm in a great place with them now and I was in a horrendous position with them another time so you've got to bear with it like I literally like I said I never go low and never got depressed but I went on a certain medication and I was in an absolute hole don't wait to the point that it's an issue. If something's supposed to stabilize you and put you in the middle, 
and you are either too low or too high, you have to speak out really, really quickly. Um, if you're seeking help, am, am I all right? Just kind of a bit more time. Like if you're trying to get help, if you're trying to get help, um, you must have somebody on your side. If Ideally, you've got somebody on your side that can do the donkey work of the ringing round and speaking to the doctors and everybody else. Because if you try and do it yourself, it is the most frustrating system I've ever been involved in in my life. And the military is a bit of a terrible system. But, you know, the amount of time you have to wait to speak to people, um, the, the lack of funding, it, 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 you must be patient and you must have people on your side. If you've not, if I didn't have my wife doing that and the supportive family, I, I, I definitely, I don't know where I would be. I genuinely don't know where I'd be. Um, because it's in a it's a sorry state of affairs. So the more you can do to be insightful, look after yourself, and not let it get to the point where you're in a bad way. Because that's a bad place to be just on its own. But then to be crying out for help and it takes so long, just try and recognise it early. And if somebody like close to you highlights it, don't bite the head off. Don't start putting everything on them. They're, they're seeing you. They're seeing things that you can't see yourself. So you've got to listen. You've got to take it on board. Maybe in that moment you don't want to listen, but maybe reflect on it a bit later on and, and go, ah, actually they're right. You know, I talked to Beck before about ringing certain people. I, you know, I've, I've lied. I said, oh, I spoke to Kev. Did you speak to the other guy as well, did you? And no, 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 no. And I had. I've just got these things that happen, and they spot it ahead of you. So you've just got to – and be really honest, you know, when you're saying no to people, don't, don't lie. Just say, this is how I feel. You know, I've had to bring athlete. When you bring back somebody from injury, it's quite a stressful situation communicating with everybody and not doing too much and not doing too little. And to bring 15-plus athletes back from almost injury by being on COVID and now they're back on court, I was just fully overwhelmed. But I just told people that's how I was feeling. I said, look, I need to step back from this because I feel overwhelmed. You have to be honest. And you've got to kind of – you've just got to use every opportunity that your class has been a failure in whatever part it is, whether it's the way you've dealt with something psychologically or something at work, you've just got to learn from it. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but you know, if you re re take the time to reflect on what's happened, why it's happened, and, and just try not to repeat that same mistake. Maybe just you might do, but just not as often. And just maybe just keep a bit of a journal and just jot this stuff down so you can, you know, I've actually got a notebook where there's just some random, random stuff when I was in a bad way. Like, yeah, it's 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 quite crazy to look at. And when I get Facebook memories that come back from 2008, they're embarrassing, but you know, you, you please use the people around you before it gets too late. Yeah. Mate, thank you so much for that. I think that was, it, it, that's probably going to help so many more people because of obviously the mental health and the anxiety and the struggles with what they're going through now. And there's so many important things that I, I kind of beat the drum about, which is learn to listen, learn to talk to people prevention is definitely the best cure i'm all about prevention i'm always saying make time for your health now or you have to make time for illness later on so if you're committed to not only enhancing your mental health but also your physical well-being too then you need to check out our new sponsors health excel providing you the best superfood blends on the market in their non-gmo vegan gluten-free and of course organic formulas they bring you superfoods like no others you have seen on the market they also don't just stop there as they provide you free consistent information to educate and empower you on your overall health and well-being journey. So don't just stop at the end of a Find Your Voice episode. Get yourself some Excel blends and put the odds in your flavour. Once it goes live, there will also be a unique discount 
for anyone who comes from the Find Your Voice podcast, as you guys are now part of my family and I only want to see you thrive even more. So check out the links in the description below and get notified as soon as they go live. Back to the episode. And the last point is incredible. That's being honest and having the courage to be honest. So rather than seeing it as a weak thing, saying I feel low or I just don't feel up to it, actually that takes courage to be 100% transparent. And I've had to do that myself. I've done it with podcasts. I've had to cancel podcasts at the last minute because I'm trying to force myself to be in a, in a good frame of mind. But some days I wake up and I'm in a horrible funk. And the last thing I want to do is put somebody on the show and not do justice and not be the best performer. So massive, massive points. So thank you for sharing that. And I just think when you hear it from a Marine as well, it's going to mean a lot more than myself. So that, that's why it was important to get you on there and obviously important to share that. And that does sadly then bring us to the last question. And the last question is about legacy, my friend. If in 150 years time, science fails to save us and all that exists is a book and this book is about you, it's about your life. It's about all the weird and wonderful things that you've done and all of your accomplishments. Firstly, what I want to know is what would the title of this book be? And secondly, what would the summary at the back tell us about you? I knew this was coming up and I did have a title. <laughs> I've got I've got another one, but I remember now that I wrote I wrote out like um I would say ambition, the pros and cons. And the summary would be understand that being an ambitious person is gonna put you in situations where you've got potential to be successful, but it's also gonna cause some stress. Uh, you've got to learn from them mistakes, continue to push for you know, you've got to continue to push forward if that's your kind of mission keep it going but accept that you don't need to match yourself to others your unique selling point is you and your journey will never be repeated again so there's no point looking on somebody else's instagram account because they're not you i I love that and i just want to ask you just about that then so in regards to yourself how do you want to be remembered there's a saying they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care so i'd like to say that that would be it like everybody that i work with that i serve that I do care. That's the only reason I'm doing it. Yeah. I, I, it's not, like I say, I don't, it's no longer for validation. It's no longer for this. I, I just genuinely care about you, your child, your player, whatever it might be. Like I genuinely care. I think we can see that. I love that, mate. This has been a fascinating conversation. So what I want to do now is give you a chance to connect with the audience. I want the audience to connect with you, if that would be okay with yourself. Yeah, no problem. What is the best ways that they can connect with you, follow your content and learn from you? Instagram. Um, it's not going to be relevant on this topic, really. Um, not yet. I think that'd be another take or message is be selfish. I'm not yet in a position. I don't know if I ever will be to lead this from the front. I'm happy to do what we've done today and I would do it as often as possible, but I'm not going to start. I don't think I'm going to start putting content out that, that, that's directly on this. And I, I, I may do one day. I may do. I'm happy to, I'm much more happy to talk like this than, like I say, stand up at the front and, you know, the, tw- the 20, you know, there's a much deeper impact around PTSD than doing 25 press ups for 25 days. Th- that's not making any difference. I'm sorry, guys, but it's not. Like, that's not addressing the issues. It's not addressing the abandonment. It's not addressing why people have got PTSD. It, 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 does it raise awareness? I don't know if it does. How many people that do that 25 press ups actually go and look into PTSD or understand maybe they've got it themselves. So it's, it, it's, it's kind of, it's tough. But yeah, if, if you're interested in tennis, um, you're going to see plenty of stuff. But um, it's hit, at, yeah, sorry, at H Green Tennis Fit, all one word. Fantastic. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And again, one thing I recognize, so I used to listen to podcasts about seven years ago, is sometimes it could just be 
a quote or a sentence yeah. that somebody said that I'm like, I like the way that person thinks. So maybe mm. somebody will come for your content, not necessarily to learn about PTSD or bipolar, yeah. but just you as a person, because you've taken time out, you've shared your wisdom. And I, I love wisdom being something that's come from experience and something that you've experienced. You've not just read Atomic Habits and then spoken about Atomic Habits. You've developed these habits, not just through your coaching and your leadership, but also through the Marines as well. So I think that's what people are going to really resonate with you. Yeah, I mean, that's where they can, sorry, that's where they can see. But if they want to message me, message me like so i will i will get back to you i mean some of coaches recently have been giving out the what the phone number on whatsapp i'm like maybe not yet (laughs) maybe not yet but yeah please if you do want to reach out and say anything or ask anything i'm more than happy to spend time and and i will reply to everybody thank you howard appreciate that and before we close the show and i say my final goodbye is there anything that you wish i had said to you or is there one final message you want to leave the audience with the paradox, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Absolute bull crap. You'll overwork. You'll be constantly connected. You take everything personally. You destroy relationships. Um, it's work. Even if you enjoy it a lot, it's a job. Switch off. I love that, mate. I, I think that was a mic drop moment, but I have to say bye. So I just want to extend my hand, mate, because I always say this to anyone who takes time out of the day to come on this show and help it for what it is. This show is successful because of people like yourself it helps raise awareness one person per show has always been my kind of mantra and philosophy behind this if we can just change one person's mind and change the trajectory of their life and i think we've definitely done that in this story i'd love to get you back in six twelve months time if you can because there's so many questions there i want to know some gossip on tennis players obviously gdpr and all that we don't have to say their names but i'm just interested in understanding that what us mere mortals are going through do they have the same kind of things? But that's a conversation for another day. I wish you all the best, obviously, with your health as well. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day, my friend. And for everyone else at home, thank you for listening. No, I appreciate it. I enjoyed that. And remember, this podcast is absolutely free. So all we ask in return is for you to share this with a friend and drop us a five-star review over on iTunes. Have an awesome day.